if you uh, if you think about it, for a Christian, uh, pray, prayer is for a believer, for a follower of Jesus. Uh, prayer is key to everything. Prayer is key to knowing God. Uh, it is only through prayer that we begin to know God through His Word, right? We uh, uh, we we just don't know about God. We know God personally. It, it is through prayer that we begin to know ourselves, uh, who we really are, what we really love, uh, what really captures our heart. Uh, what is what is uh, what, what is uh, that that motivates us? And all these things we begin to know ourselves uh, in a posture of prayer. And not just that; it is key to changing yourself, right? Not just changing behavior, but if you want to change. Uh, if you want to change your heart, if you want to have a change in what you love, it happens only through prayer. So prayer is, prayer is like air for, for a physical being. If you're living as much as you need air to breathe and to live, it is very similar uh, to live uh, as a believer. Prayer is like air to live. Right? Uh, so we know. All this, if, if prayer is so vital and if prayer is so key, why do we struggle in prayer? Right? If you, if you think about this and if you're honest with yourself, uh, we, we struggle when we come to pray. Right? I don't know if you, if you noticed this, but let's say you decide to pray. Right? You decide to pray and you want to spend some time. And the moment you want to pray, there's always distraction. There's always somebody calling you. There's always something you've forgotten. There's always these distractions. And let's say you overcome those distractions and you sit down to pray uh, and, and, you, uh, and you begin to be quiet. Even the quietness sometimes scares us, right? Because we don't know what to say. We don't know what to do now, right? So we go into some of these cliched sentences or statements that we've picked up along the way. Uh, sometimes it scares us. We, 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 the quietness deafens us. We, we don't know. We are scared to even look at our own heart and what is coming out of our hearts. We are scared to even think about some of the thoughts that come into our heads. So we, we don't want to engage that, right? Um, prayer also uh, creates a lot of confusion, right? Sometimes when we sit down to pray, we don't know what to pray. We don't know how to pray. We don't know where to start, right? Uh, yeah, sometimes it makes us uh, feel shame because we, we recognize uh, that we only come to God uh, when we need something, we only come to God because something is going wrong in our lives, right? And so we feel like a hypocrite and there is, there is shame uh, in our lives. Uh, we also feel guilty because the moment we bow down in prayer, our sin is always in front of us. So we know we are sinful creatures. And so we feel guilt in our hearts and we feel condemned. And there's always a voice in our head that says, well, Ranjit, God knows who you are. You don't have to pretend before him, right? You are a sinner. You are condemned. Right? Who are you trying to fool here? Right? So we have all these voices in our heads that condemn us. Right? And then maybe some of us, we carry hurt and disappointments from prayers that have not been answered. And so we feel like, what is the point of praying for other things? What's the point of praying for my life when all these things are unanswered in my life? Right? So pray, prayer sometimes is a scary thing. Right? And we struggle. Right? We struggle with prayer. Okay? Uh, but this is where God invites us to pray, right? God invites us uh, uh, to, uh, to come to him. And even when you think about this, how we pray and how we approach God reveals how we understand the gospel. Okay, how we pray, even our prayer itself, how we come to God actually reveals how much we understand the gospel. 
right? And if these are the thoughts that go into our head, shame and guilt and condemnation and all these things, then it kind of reveals our posture before God. It reveals how we are coming before God, right? And, and that's why uh, uh, Jesus invites us and Jesus invites us uh, to come and learn from him what it, what it is to pray. What is prayer? Just like the disciples, uh, we can come before him and we can say, God, I, I struggle. I struggle to pray. I don't know what to pray. I don't know where to start. Uh, th these are the thoughts and these are the emotions I have. Would you teach me? Teach us, Lord. Teach us to pray. And that's exactly what the disciples did. And Jesus did teach them, right? And he taught them the Lord's Prayer. Now, when we come to the Lord's Prayer, uh, it, it is not something that needs to be said as mere uh, repetition. It is not meant for that. And though we do repeat the Lord's Prayer, it is probably the prayer that has been said all over the world for the most number of times. Uh, so it is, there is some significance. We did come, we have a unity in our language. We have a unity in our confession. So it is true in that sense. But the Lord's Prayer is not meant to be some magic words. It's not meant to be something we just say at the end of our prayer and somehow God is now obligated to us. We can manipulate God when we say this prayer. No, that's not what the Lord's Prayer is for. In fact, Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5, and that's where the Lord's Prayer is found. Jesus tells his disciples, when you pray, you must not pray like the hypocrites. He says, don't pray like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners and that they, uh, they may be seen by others. So, so don't pray like that. And then in verse 7, he says, when you pray, do not keep empty phrases. I love the NIV, which says, do not keep babbling. Don't just babble something, right? As the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of the many words. No, this, the, the Lord's Prayer is not meant to be a babbling. It's not meant to just be meaningless, mindless repetition. That is not what it is meant to be. Right? But the Lord's Prayer is a summary of the entire gospel. The Lord's Prayer is a summary of the entire doctrine of the Bible. Right? When Jesus tells and teaches the Lord's Prayer, he, he is telling us, this is what needs to, be, needs to inform you when you pray. This is how you pray. This is how you approach God. And he brings a summary of the entire scripture and he offers it as a prayer. Right? So, so the, the Lord's Prayer is a content for our prayer. It gives us content. It gives us understanding of how to pray and what to pray. So, so in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to pick up, uh, we're going to pick up each phrase from the Lord's Prayer, right? And let me just, uh, maybe uh, we can refresh the Lord's Prayer. And this is how the prayer goes. And Jesus, when, uh, Jesus in verse 9 in Matthew 6, he says, pray then like this. He said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power. Amen. Right? So this is the Lord's Prayer. We're going to take each phrase for the next eight weeks and really understand what it means. And this morning, we're going to pick up the first phrase, Our Father in Heaven. Right? And this is the basis, right? This is the basis how we come to God in prayer. 
if we do not understand this phrase and the significance of what it means to call God our Father, then we don't come to Him rightly. Then we don't pray rightly. We don't understand what the gospel means. So this is the basis. And we're going to look at three things this morning. Uh, we're going to look at three things based on this doctrine of fatherhood of God, the doctrine of adoption. Right? We're going to look at three things. One is the miracle of adoption. We're going to look at the significance of adoption. And we're going to look at the cost of adoption. Okay? And I'm going, to, I'm going to just pray for us. Even we begin this series, even as we begin this sermon, why don't we just bow our hearts and bow our, close our eyes and let's look to God. Father, this morning we come before you and we recognize the importance of prayer. We recognize our struggle with prayer. And this morning we come with open hearts. Oh, we come with a longing to you. Teach us, teach us, Lord. Teach us. Convict us. Speak to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, let's look at the first one, the miracle of adoption. The miracle of adoption. So the base passage, uh, though we are, we are talking about the Lord's Prayer, we're going to pick up each phrase and we're going to go to other uh, uh, dominant passages in Scripture to understand what that means. So today we're going to look at Galatians uh, uh, verses from chapter 3 and verses from chapter 4, right? So I'm going to pick up from verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 4. So in your Bibles, uh, just look at chapter 4, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. This is what it says. It says, when the fullness... When the, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Beautiful. Right? And I want us to understand, calling God as a father is a miracle. Calling God as a father is a gift. Calling God as your father is, is not something you earn. It is not something you deserve. It is purely a miracle. It's a miracle. It's the miracle of adoption. Think of this. What right do we have to call God father? Who do you think you are? How can we even call God father? Did, did you, did, I don't know if you've noticed. None of the religions of the world address God as father. Even the Jews in the Old Testament, though God reveals himself as the father of Israel, they will never pray to God as father. It is only something that Jesus did. And when Jesus began to address God as father, they, they wanted to stone Jesus. Right? They wanted to kill him. It, it is something only in the New Testament that we begin to understand. And even Jesus gives us the right to pray to God as father. So I want us to understand this, right? I don't, I don't want us to take this lightly. I, I want us to understand what does it mean when we say God, our Father? What does this mean? And here is the shocking truth. I don't know if you've, if you've thought about this. Here is the shocking truth. The truth is not all people can, God, can call God Father. Not all people are children of God. No. And it might be shocking for us. Right? But that's, that's the truth. God is not the father of all people. Jesus went through suffering and pain and to die on the cross to make this happen so that we can call him father. Right? It is not something that anybody and everybody can have a right to. In fact, Romans 5.10 says, we are enemies before God. Naturally, Naturally, 
This is who we are. We are enemies before God. Ephesians 2, 3 says, by nature, by nature, we are children of wrath. We are not children of God. Right? The fatherhood of God is exclusive to those who are in Christ. And I want us to understand this. So what does this mean? Yes, God is the father of all creation because he created all things, right? Yes, he is the father of all creation. He's created all things in his image. God acts fatherly towards all creatures, all human beings. God has an attitude of being a father towards everybody. He provides, he protects, he cares, he loves all people. But relationally, spiritually, relationally, he becomes father through Jesus. We, he becomes our father through the son, through faith in Christ. So not everybody can call God father. Right? It is only those who have been adopted through the Son can call God Father. Now, I want us to understand this. Right? I want you to understand this. This is, this is something important. The fatherhood of God is not a language of creation. It's a language of redemption. It's a language of adoption. It is not a language of creation. Though God acts fatherly towards everybody, but, but we don't become his children automatically. We are not naturally his children. It is a language of creation. It's not a language of creation. It's a language of adoption and redemption. You, think, about, think about this. You can call somebody father only because of two reasons. Only two reasons. One is either you're born to that person, you can call uh, that person father, or you are adopted by that person. There's only two ways. You are either through birth or by adoption. When it comes to God, only Jesus has the right to call God Father. I want you to think about this. Only Jesus has the right to call God as Father. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. He's the perfect Son of God. Though the Father and the Son, God the Father, God the Son, are equal in essence, equal in being, equally God, equal in divinity, but relationally, scripture reveals to us that they are father and son. So only God the son, Jesus, has the right to call God the father. Okay, Only Jesus. Only Jesus has the access to God the Father. Only Jesus has the authority. Only Jesus has the freedom. Only Jesus has that approval and that acceptance. Only Jesus. And Jesus gives you the right to call God the Father. Jesus gives us the right to call God Abba Father. Friends, I want you to understand this. I want you to understand this. Do not take this lightly. Coming to God as our Father is the highest privilege. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. This is the highest privilege for a believer. Nothing else. This is the highest privilege. What audacity. How, how could this happen? How could God... Jesus, I understand. What right do I have to call him Father? What did I do to deserve that right and that privilege? Who, who, do you, who do I think I am to address 
God as Father. Am I more special than anybody else? No. Right? How, how can I think that I have the same right as Jesus to call God as Father? How dare we call him Father? And that's what we see in Galatians 4.4. It is for this reason. Galatians 4.4 says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem oh, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive right we might receive adoption as sons it's a gift it's a miracle it's a miracle jesus through his life death and resurrection by being our substitute on the cross he paid for our sin he purchased our forgiveness by faith in what Christ has done for us, God adopts you. God adopts you. God adopts you as son and daughter. The Bible does not say he is like your father. And I want us to understand this. This is an important distinction. It is not a metaphor. He is not like your father. He is your father. He is your father. He has adopted you. You belong to him. You belong to him. My friend, adoption is, is a gift of grace. Adoption is something we don't deserve. It is something we receive by faith. Adoption is a, the highest miracle we can experience. Jesus gives us the status and the privilege and the access and the honor to call God Father. This is making sense. Friends, wait. When you address God as Father, do you, do you sense this? Or we just call Him Father and we just move on? Do, do you sense this miracle? Do you, do you sense this? Does this move your heart? Oh, what did I do? What did I do to deserve this? What did I do to earn this? What, who am I to God? To call God Father, does this fill you with gratitude? Does this fill you with inexplicable joy? Does this comfort you? Does this warm your soul? Does it fill you with awe and wonder for the status you enjoy before God? My friend, knowing, knowing this, the privilege of adoption, this miracle of adoption, knowing this, what Calling God as Father, knowing that, understanding that, right? Meditating on that, coming to God on basis of that completely changes you. It changes you. No matter what you're going through, no matter what your struggle is, no matter how many prayers that have not been answered, when you come to Him as Father, as Father, it changes your life. When you understand what that means, it is a miracle. We see that, my friend, it's a miracle. It's a miracle that you are no longer a slave. You are a son. You are a daughter. It's a miracle that you are no longer an enemy. You are no longer a stranger, but you've become the family of God. You've become the children of God. It's a miracle. So there's a miracle of adoption. Second is the significance of adoption. What is the signal? What's the significance? What's the significance of being adopted? Right? We see this in chapter 3, verse 26, in this passage. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. 
For it says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Oh, what a beautiful thing. Right? And again, I want us to quickly back up and understand it is not a, uh, here when it says you're the sons of God, it is not a term of gender. It is not that we're all now, uh, we, are, we are not, no, it, it means your sons and daughters. But the word sons is significant here because it's a, it's a word of title in that culture. We got to understand what that is. It, is. it is not just a gender term because when you read the next verse, you will understand. In verse 27, it says, For as many as you were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all sons. We have the status only Jesus has the right to be the son of God. My friend, the scriptures, we are all sons of God. Oh, we, there is some mystery. There's a, in a mysterious way, God looks at us the way he looks at Jesus. We have the same status before him. We have, we, oh, it's a mystery. In that culture, only, only sons had status. Only uh, sons in terms of male sons had status. They had position. They had inheritance. They, had, uh, they, they were an heir. And when somebody didn't have an heir, when they don't have a son, they, they adopt a son so that the inheritance can go to the, go to the heir. Right? But God is saying to that culture, you are all sons. There is no male or female. There is no slave or free. Oh, there is no Jew or Greek. You are all sons. When you come to me through Jesus, when you are exercising your faith in Jesus, when you are in Christ, you are all one before me. Right in verse 29, it says, that if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to promise. We are heirs. And you look at chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 6. It says, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son. Oh, it is because he has adopted you. It is because you are sons. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts that cries above Father." Even, even the Holy Spirit that is within us, it is because of adoption. Otherwise, we cannot have the, the presence of the spirit in us. So verse 7, so you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. My friend, this is so rich. What is the significance of this? What is the significance of this? Right? And I want you to think about this. Let's say, let's say tomorrow, uh, Ambani, Ambani decides to adopt you. Legally. Okay? He knocks on your door, right? And he says, right, I want to adopt you, right? Mukesh Ambani. Not, not the other one. Mukesh Ambani. Right. Let's say he comes and adopts you. I want you to think of this. Legally, everything that belongs to him now belongs to you. Legally, when he decides to adopt you, he chooses you. You didn't choose him. He chooses you. And he comes to adopt you. Legally, everything that belongs to him. It's not just the money, the power, the position, the status. The glory, everything that belongs to him is now yours. You, you, your last name changes now. You'll become Aiden Ambani. 
<laughs> you could have become an employee, right? <laughs> Your last name changes. You have a new identity. You have a new name. Or you have a new status. You have a new position. I want you to imagine this, right? We can imagine Ambani. What if God were to adopt you? What if, what if the creator of all things, what is the ruler of all things, the sovereign one? What if the one a million Ambani's bow before? What if the king of kings were to come and adopt you? I, I understand what Ambani is worth, but what is God worth? What is he worth? What does that even mean? When he adopts me, what does that even mean? I understand that when Ambani, uh, uh, he will adopt. What does this mean when God adopts me? What does this even mean? Can you imagine this? Can you imagine this? This is incredible, right? My friend, one of the things we see is you become an heir of God. You become an heir. You, you, you become the heir of everything that belongs to God. You become co-heirs with Christ. Whatever Christ receives, you receive. You become co-heirs with him. Right? And you get a sense of that, a little bit of that inheritance. What awaits us? A little bit of that in, in Romans. In Romans chapter 8, when creation is waiting and it's groaning to be set free. And this is what it says in verse 21, right? It's incredible. Creation uh, itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. When, when Christ returns, Right? Creation is going to be set free from bondage, from corruption, from injustice, from wickedness, from evil, from sin, from brokenness. Creation is going to, creation is going to be set free from all this and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. I want you to understand this. The glory that awaits you, the glory that is your inheritance, this is going to change the universe. When that glory comes upon you, it is going to change. It is going to end injustice. It is going to end sin. It is going to end death. It's going to change. It's going to transform. It's going to renew all of creation, the entire universe. That's your inheritance. That's your inheritance. It is, it is marvelous. This is what is awaiting us. But not just that, my friend. Today, my friend, today, because you are adopted, you have freedom. You have access. You have a new world. You, you have a new identity. You have a new acceptance before God. You have a new approval before God. You are welcomed into his presence. Right? You are welcomed into the kingdom. You have a father who runs and embraces you when you return. You have a father who loves you unconditionally. You have a father who watches over you, who never leaves you, who never abandons you. A father who is unconditionally committed to you forever. You are a son. You are a daughter. It's a miracle. Do, do you see the significance? My friend, this is, this is significant. Just that one phrase when we say, our oh, father, oh, it has to melt you. It has to melt you when you understand what that is. Do you see the significance of your worth? Do you see the significance of your acceptance? Do you see the significance of your identity? Just very quickly. Right? The question is, 
how, how do you live according to the significance? If you are getting, in spite of being the child of God, calling God your father, but if you are getting your significance from money, if you are getting your significance from status, if you are getting your significance from relationships, if you are getting significance from success, if this is what's giving your, your, you your significance, you're going to be working and working and working. You're going to be like a slave. But if you begin to understand that your significance comes from the identity that you are the child of God, my friend, you are no longer a slave. You are a son. If you understand that your significance in identity has come from the fact that you are loved by God, you are cherished by God, you are approved by God, you are accepted by God, you are forgiven by God. If that is what your significance is from, my friend, you are free. Your life is free. And I love this quote. I love this quote by J.I. Packer. He's a famous theologian. And I'm going to read the quote for you. And I just want you to follow this, right? If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, if you want to know, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child. Are you tracking me? You want to know how much Christianity means to you? Find out, find out for yourself how much the thought of being God's child means to you. And having God as his father, how much does it mean to you? If this is not the thought that prompts and controls your worship and prayer and your whole outlook of life, it means you do not understand Christianity. If this is not what is moving you, if just this thought of the fact that you can call God, you can call God Father. If that doesn't move you, my friend, that you've not understood what, what Jesus is all about. You've not understood the gospel to what it means. And he finishes, he says, adoption is the highest privilege the gospel offers. It's the highest privilege. It's the highest privilege. We are happy with forgiveness. We are happy with salvation. But no, my friend, that is not why Jesus came. Jesus came to accomplish that so that you will become the sons and daughters of God. It's a miracle. You see the miracle of adoption. You see the significance of adoption. But there is a cost to this adoption. There's a cost to this adoption. What's the cost? My friend, if you notice scripture, if you notice in the gospel, every time Jesus addresses God, he will address him as father. Every time Jesus prays to God, he prays to God as father, except one time. Every time Jesus prays, every time Jesus addresses God, he addresses him as father, except once. And I want you to understand this. Except once, it was on the cross. What's happening here? What's happening here? On the cross, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even in Gethsemane, in the garden, he cries out, Father, if it is your will, let this cup pass. But on the cross, Jesus Christ saying, my God, my God, what's happening? 
the point when the sins of all of humanity fell upon Jesus. The horror of God's wrath upon sin is about to fall upon Jesus. The moment he is going to be abandoned. Oh, I want you to understand this. The moment he is going to be abandoned by the one with whom he was relationally related forever from eternity as the eternal son. He is going to be abandoned. He is going to be separated. He, he is going to be deserted by the one whom he called father. He is going to be left alone to die a shameful death. The moment when the father is looking away from the son, when the son cries out, the father looks away because of the sins of the world that is upon him. Jesus went through this pain and horror and torment and anguish of eternal proportion for you and for me. I want you to understand this. There is a cost. Jesus went through that and he was turned away. God turned away from him because of you and me so that you and I can call God Father. Oh, my friend. Oh, the reason why God turned away from his own son was so that you and I can call God Father. The reason why God, the son, the reason why Jesus could not access the father, oh, Jesus was abandoned, is so that you can be brought in. So that you can have the privilege. Oh, my friend, do you see what it cost? For you to call God Father. It cost Jesus his life. It cost Jesus all that he had. So that you can enjoy what he enjoys. So that you can have the same rights that Jesus has. So that you can have the same privilege and access that Jesus has. So that you can have the same inheritance that Jesus has. So that you can have the same approval as Jesus has. That one day, God will pronounce upon you, this is my son, this is my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. My friend, the gospel should humble you. The gospel should humble you. Not only humble you, the gospel should give you tremendous confidence in life. Tremendous confidence. Maybe some of you are hurt by your earthly father. Maybe some of you are abandoned by the father figures in your life. Maybe some of you uh, uh, have experienced a distant father or an absent father. And we all carry this hurt and this disappointment in our lives. But my friend, our earthly fathers are mere shadows of who our heavenly father is. This is your father. This is your true father. This is your eternal father. He will never leave you. He is never distant. He is never absent. Oh, when you turn to him, he runs to you with open arms. He puts a ring on your finger. He clothes you with robes of righteousness. He treats you as a son, as an heir. This is your father. He went to the extent of Letting Jesus, his own son, die on the cross so that he can call you son and daughter. 
so that he can call you his own son and daughter so that you can call him father. He went to that extent. Jesus went to that extent. This is your father. My friend, next time when you pray, next time when you pray, will you pause? Next time when you address him as your father, will you say, And wonder. Oh, and be moved in awe. Will you pause and rejoice? Oh, yes, in the midst of your struggle. Yes, in the midst of your disappointment. Yes, in the midst of all that's happening. But will you run to his arms and say, Oh, Father. Our Father. My friend, this is the greatest miracle for you and for me. Let's pray. Father, we, we, we can't even express what it means. We, we can't even experience the, the weight of what it means to call you our Father. But this morning, we come before you and we bow in adoration. We bow in humble adoration. We are no longer slaves. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer under condemnation. We are no longer distant from you. We are no longer enemies. Oh, we are no longer cut off from you. We are no longer children of wrath. We are your children. Jesus, we thank you for what you have done. Oh, Jesus, what you have done. I am not worthy of that. We don't deserve your sacrifice. But we come to it by faith. We accept it by faith. We accept what you have done. We accept what you have done. We accept your forgiveness. Thank you for forgiving our sins. Father, we thank you. What a privilege. May, may this thought of being your child radically transform us. May it transform our prayer. May it transform our posture when we come before you. May it transform our worship. Maybe it may transform our marriage. Maybe it may transform my life inside out. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask Aiden to lead us in a song as we respond in worship.